Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All conversations and information exchanged during participation in this podcast or interaction on the doctor.com website is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or physician medical advice or direction per se. You must always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing on these podcasts or posted on this site supplements or supersedes the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Please understand, I am not playing the role of physician in this environment per se. I'm educating. I am a licensed physician with specialty boards in American Board of Internal Medicine and American Board of Addiction Medicine. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Ford and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around for Old Time Radio's episode of This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob. Yes, and a bit of business to get out of the way. Of course, another episode of This Life, hashtag you, hashtag you Live. Check out the Opium Series on Weekly Infusion. We put it up there now as a podcast with very interesting interviews alongside of the history of opium. Written and produced by Michelle Poe. We're several episodes in at Dr.com. The whole installment is there. Also, check out uh, Dr. Drew Podcast at Dr.com. Robert Green, amazing That's guy. That's what amazing you were talking writer. about. Yeah. Ashley Winter, she's a young urologist, real expert. She spent. It, you have to go to the Doctor Who podcast to hear these guys. Uh, Dr. Alva, Kevin Folta. We talk. I, I get into actually botany and all the weird fears people have about GMOs and stuff. I actually talk to real scientists and you know straighten things out. Uh, also, we have a new podcast, the Doctor After Dark podcast. It's uh, become very popular. It's a YouTube channel. Uh, and it's, it's going to become one person more popular tonight when I can watch it. Uh, it's uh, with the interview comedians. And it's all on your mom's house with uh, Tom Segura and Christina P. Uh, for mommies but not for kiddies, check it out. Don't listen during carpool time. And don't forget the first T-shirt is out. It's the Heather Charcoal T-shirt at MerchMethod.com slash Tom Segura. And finally, the KBC Daily Show I do at Land Tweeden, either at kbc.com or, again, at doctor.com. It's uh, all there as well as all the podcasts from Playroom Pods. Uh, And the Adam and Drew Show there, too. Me and Adam do a show every day, and you can check it all out at drdrew.com. Let's get to our guest, shall we? Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan B. West. He's a... Uh, combat veteran, a former member of the U.S. Congress, congressman, uh, presently a Fox News contributor, director of the Booker T. Washington Initiative at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, senior fellow at the Media Research Center, contributing columnist, townhall.com, 
And uh, Lieutenant, welcome to the program. Or Colonel. Colonel. Welcome, Colonel, welcome to the program. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks yeah. Dr. Yeah. Drew. Uh, you know, please don't call me Lieutenant. I had a lot of nightmares from those years. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel. Colonel is the way to go. Uh, his yeah. forthcoming book is called Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. Interesting. Uh, tell me about that. Well, one of the things you look at, I've been living here in Texas for the past five years, and uh, my last duty assignment was here in Texas at Fort Hood. And there's an incredible demographic shift because, without a doubt, Texas has an, uh, the, the economic growth and prosperity. So many businesses and corporations are moving here, uh, and they are coming from, if, if I'm correct, you're out in California. They're coming from California, oh, yes, Illinois, they are. New York, New Jersey. Oh, yes. We're, we're, and, we're these utopias. All these other states are such utopias. They're running to Texas. Yeah, but the sad thing is that they're violating the one commandment that Lot was given by God and his family when they were leaving Son and Gomorrah. They're looking back. And so we see an ideological shift here. And uh, the last uh, midterm election cycle here in Texas was very telling when you look at the results in uh, Dallas County, where I live, and Houston, Harris County, and some of those surrounding areas. And I think that when you look at uh, Representative O'Rourke, who has said that he has put Texas in play, he really has because the population shift. Now, you're right. part of a uh, media research center. And before we uh, hooked in with you, Bob and I were arguing about the impact on the, of particularly cable news and print media on the acrimony in our society today. And I was saying, you know, because Bob recently opted out of media, right? I've opted out. I'm yeah. out. I do no longer participate in any of the daily, he, daily grind. He, he said, he, he goes, I feel so much better. And after all, what are these things really, how are these things really affecting my life? And I said, it's the media making you feel this way. It's not the reality of our government. Would you agree with me on that or am I missing something? No, you're not missing anything. I wish that we got back to the old days of, uh, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and, you know, there were three channels back then, and you sat and watched Huntley Brinkley or, you know, ABC or CBS, and they just reported the news. Uh, but when you went to that 24-hour news cycle, which got started there in Atlanta with uh, CNN, uh, then you had to, you know, fill up that time with stories and a lot more opinions. of opinionated yeah, type opinions. of journalism has taken place. Right. Interpretations, opinions. The other thing I've, I, you know, friends of mine who have done it already, did it in 2016, have been urging me not to pay attention to it. They've pointed out that on any given night, the numbers for, say, Tucker Carlson are like 2.6. That's a 2.6 million people are watching Tucker Carlson. I just looked it up one, yesterday. One million no, no, people no, are I, watching MSNBC wait, wait, just, and 600,000 watching CNN. It's only 5 million people watching those things. Correct. So what about the other 345 million of us? Right. We're watching March Madness. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, we're raising our children, <laughs> yeah, and we're yeah, right. and we're uh, supporting our communities, and we're doing. But we're being what, infected what people by have the. Done. I'm by watching the, Netflix. Yeah. Right. But we're being infected by the background hostility. But why does everybody think that that's the true America? A good question. Well, because that's what the message that that continues to be uh, promulgated out there is is that that's what everyone is doing. Uh, you know, they're not going out and. You know, watching their kids play Little League Baseball, even, you know, high school, you know, sports. Or they're not just, you know, trying to spend time with the, the precious little time that they have uh, as a family unit, where we still do have family units. Because right. a lot of the family has been broken down uh, definitively in the community, you know, the black community where I grew up in. 
Uh, I grew up in the same neighborhood that gave us Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. back in Atlanta, and you rarely saw uh, any kid without mother and father in the home. Uh, but now you only have 24% of black kids that have uh, mother and father in the home. So I think that uh, there's a, a, a desire to get back to having those close familial ties and bonds. And a lot of people are sitting around and listening to the Rock'em Sock'em robots that we hear played out a lot of, on a lot of these so news So what channels. do you think? So this is my suspicion that a lot of things are going splendidly. In this last 10 days, I appreciate my life more. I'm more engaged with my neighbors. A neighbor came over to give us clothes for, uh, for my daughter the other day. We talked for like an hour and a half. If When, when I was caught up in the, in the media storm of things, and yeah. you see everything for, through the prism of that, I'm forgetting that one of my best friends, one of my mentors, is a conservative Republican from Las Vegas. We're best buddies. We work together every day for two years. And respect one another. Yeah. The respect has gone. Well, the, right? In the media. And so how are you guys trying to help uh, direct things in a better way? Well, I can only speak for myself. And the thing that I try to do is always speak from a position of, of factual information uh, and not with just pure emotionalism. And, you know, I've had someone, you know, once said to me that uh, – uh, I disagree with your facts, which I kind of <laughs> thought was funny, but, uh, but, but that's how some people are uh, because they become locked in on an ideological perspective that is emotionally driven. And I think that causes us this great amount of angst that we see. And we should not just withdraw back into our respective corners. We need to be able to come out and respectively debate issues on on fact. And okay, so let's debate the issues that you guys are talking about in Texas. Eventually, if you look at what's happened since the mid-60s to now, there's going to be a Californianization of America. Well, well, there's going to be. Texas. When you listen to any millennial talk, whether it's in Wisconsin, I've been all over the country, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Texas, you talk to a millennial talk, you're talking to a Californian. <laughs> So, well, it's, so what it's do you do you, to combat that? It's interesting that? that you say that because when you think about what has happened in Nevada, Arizona, uh, New Mexico, and Colorado, you've seen a lot of population bleed out of California into those states, and they have trended to look more like California. And you're right. It's happening here. But one of the things that I always, uh, when I'm out and talking to people, I, I read them the letter that Lieutenant Colonel William Barrett Travis wrote on 24 February of 1836 from the Alamo. You know, he was the man that led 185 for 13 days to make a heroic stand against Santa Ana. And of course, they all ended up losing their lives. But the thing that I explained to people is that when Travis wrote that letter, he was 26 years of age. Sheesh. And, and we don't share those simple things saying that here was one of the great stands of our history for, for freedom. And we don't even know that the, the young man was 26, but yet, you know, a recent survey came out talking about how millennials now get stressed out because the batteries in their iPhones are drained. <laughs> you know, can you imagine a 26-year-old today being surrounded by 3,000 Mexicans under the command of Santa Ana at a place called the Alamo and knowing that you're not going to get any, any reinforcements? Go write a letter says that, you know, I will not surrender, I will not retreat, and that it will only be victory or death because I will uphold my honor and the honor of my country. Yeah, there's nothing. That's how, 
I don't think there's like I don't think there's any courage like that in seventy year olds in America at this point. (laughs) You know what I mean? And and again, that's (laughs) that's another thing that should be troubling to us when you think about. uh, I served in two uh, divisions in in my time in the Army: the First Infantry Division and the Fourth Infantry Division. Both of those units landed on June the 6th of 1944 at a place called Normandy Beach. Mm -hmm. Uh, The 1st Infantry on Omaha, the 4th Infantry on Utah. And the day that I took command of a battalion uh, was June the 6th of 2002 at Fort Hood, Texas. And that was the same day when, of course, all of those World War II veterans, the few that are left, were there on uh, on the installation to remember that anniversary. And they had them attend my change of command. And when you tell me that we are not producing those same type of young men and women, I, I say that that's not the truth. Here in, in Texas, the most decorated soldier in World War II was a young man that disobeyed his mother to join the United States Army. That's Audie Murphy. So I believe the that actor, the, por- the actor, the Audie Murphy. Important thing, the important thing for us in America is to go back and tell the stories that have made us unique, that has made us exceptional, that has made us great, and talk about those incredible triumphs. My, my godfather was a Tuskegee Airman, William Sticky Jackson. Yep. And to have someone like that as a godfather, I mean, you can imagine the impact that it had on my life. Yeah, and the, the, I read a lot of your stuff uh, since yesterday when I got the briefing. One of the things that you talk about is capitalism, right? And, free market, free enterprise. Yeah, yes, and so there's an extreme uh, – capitalism is capitalism. I don't think you can neuter it. I don't think it just is and it's, a, it's the way this entire world works. But there's an extreme envy and covetousness of extreme wealth in America that I think supersedes any honor. That's a real problem we need to look at and that, that is this, this – this idolatry towards wealthy people and wealth mm-hmm. and not towards like the letter written at the Alamo by the, by the 26 year old man courage, yeah, a good life, you know, the Tuskegee airmen, they were admired by all Americans. I don't think you have a real admiration of character and courage anymore. I think you have an admiration of dot-com wealth and billionaires and as much money as somebody can have. Right? Well, just think personal. about think about the, the comment that y'all made coming into this segment when you were talking about LeBron James not going to be able to play for the rest of the season because his hurt ankle. Well, we know the yeah. Lakers aren't going to make the playoffs anyhow. Yeah. But but (laughs) look at the society that we have in the United States of America where so many people are walking around wearing the jerseys of of folks that play a game. Right, exactly. And and I think you know where I'm going. Exactly, Uh, idolatry. And and so we have become that that culture, that society. Look, people absolutely admired, you know, the the you know Bart Starr or, or J- Jackie well, let's Robinson. talk about Jackie Robinson or Muhammad yeah. Ali. These are heroes culture. But you didn't see people walking around with jerseys. You didn't see this multi-million. I mean, you know, you even see you know people walking around with the jerseys of certain college football players and athletes. Uh, you know, basketball athletes. And so I think again, we need to go back. We stopped teaching history, really. Oh we stopped God, teaching we civics. We Absolutely. stopped teaching objectively. So, so wait. Uh, so you've you've highlighted on two. You've landed on two big topics. One is the destruction of the nuclear family, 
which is not just an African American thing any longer. It's it's everywhere, and the lack of common understanding of what this country is about, largely based on no education about it, but also kind of no interest in it. No interest is what I would say. So what do we do with these? To me, these are the two big things. What what do we do with these? Well, I got to tell you, Dr. Drew, uh, it starts in our homes um, because no government can can change it. There's no policy solution that can change this. And I think one of the failures in our society is that we have too often turned to people in you know, state legislatures or governors or presidents or members of Congress or whatever to try to solve the problems that we are facing. And that that sense of rugged individualism, that sense of inner pride and honor and character has been lost. Uh, and, and people ask me, you know, who who's your role model? My dad was my role model. I mean, here was a man that you know, born in 1920 in South Alabama, grew up in South Georgia. He fought for this country at a time when this afforded him all the rights and privileges that it did others. And so at the age of 15, when he challenged me to be the first officer in our family, that's what we need to do. We need to have in our home challenging our, you know, future generations oh, no, to, as the model of the United States, we can't do that. be all you can be. Hold on. Hold on. The, 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 the institutions we have will tell you don't do that. That could traumatize that <laughs> child and put that child uh, under and, and too much pressure. <laughs> too many doctor spot philosophers <laughs> yeah. around. You know, think about this. You, you know, when, when, when kids were out, parents were out watching kids play Little League, baseball, soccer, whatever, and, you know, there was the kid that didn't get to play or whatever. What did the adults do? Instead of, you know, saying, I'm going to go and practice with John or, or Jane, uh, I'm going to try to help them to get better and explain to them how they can get better. No, they said we're going to give them a participation trophy. Right. And that well, we'll stop t- taking score. And so now you have a generation that is looking for their grown up. I think it's in the child rearing itself. I'll give you an example. Whenever I did something, my dad is also my hero. And so when I was, say, 11, my dad had lessons like your dad probably did. When I was 11 years old, I was working in the bowling alley. He used to, you know, he's a pretty stern guy. He'd tell you what his life was like at whatever given age you're being an entitled bratty, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I respected it and I believed it and it was true. And now I think parents are fearful of of coming down too hard on their children. I'm not, but a lot of my peers are, right? Well, they are. They, they are. You know, I often tell the story, uh, I played high school football and, you know, back then, if you didn't lower your head <laughs> to, to hit right. somebody, you were you considered a, a wimp and we yeah. didn't have these great uh, helmets, helmets with pads. <laughs> and I remember the uh, one time when I, I, I mean, I knocked myself out going head to head with a guy. And of course, they gave you the smelling sauce. And I woke up over on the sidelines and my mom had come down out of the stands and she leaned over and she had that real soft, genteel Southern voice. And she said, baby, are you OK? And, you know, I remember saying kind of groggily, yeah, mom, I'm all right. And this is what mom said. She said, next time when you tackle him, you got to wrap him up. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Those were, you know, those old Southern moms, you know, hey, no blood, no foul. Is your leg (laughs) broken? You're okay. Get back on the bicycle. Well, you know, you, you didn't tackle the guy properly and that, you know, get back out there and do it better. Instead of saying, 
oh, my baby, you can't play football. It's too mean. It's too rough. Let's give you a participation trophy. No. I mean, when I went to school and, and the teachers or the principal said, we're going to call your parents, I begged them. I'd, I'd do anything they wanted. Do not call my parents. But now we have parents to go to school and they're going after the teachers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this it's, is... It's a, it's a cultural societal shift that we have seen here in America. And, and like I said, no government can solve this. We've got to solve this ourselves. Well, I think... But, but I think the society will solve it. So I, I'm, I've been... This has been my pet subject for 20 years, right? So... So... The generation, the way that we're talking about child rearing has already happened. That is millennials. That is the average 18 to 30-year-old right now was raised this way. Yeah. They're dealing with society. They're the first generation that, that – did you see the sex report I sent you, Drew? Yes. What do you think Young people are not having sex. You know why? Because they live with their parents when they're 30 years old. I don't think it's just that. I think it's porn. I think pornography is... And porn, is, yeah. right? Well, Technology. It's kind of but, but it's a little hard to have somebody over to your house when you live right. with your parents. Jordan lives here. I haven't seen any girls here. When did you start living on your own, Drew? 17. 17. Me, 17. Nate the man? 20. I was 19. Susan, 19. You're talking about a generation who still live with their parents. Well, I yeah. went home for a while. To touch, to, to regroup? For, yeah. To regroup. No, because my roommate took all the rent money and spent it on Right, you had to regroup. On blow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was, was I a roommate? I didn't do that. That's <laughs> 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 hey, that's TMI, folks. <laughs> Sorry. But you Sorry, know what Colonel. I'm saying? We're, we now have a Petri dish to study what happens to the millennials. Right? There's still – and I'm not saying every millennial. I'm saying in general – they're living at home with their parents, right? They are very yeah. sensitive. They want things their way. Yeah. That's created by how they were raised and how the, the societal norms. Society is not that. Society does not care what you think. Right. Society does not care how you feel about things. You either show up at work or you don't get paid. Right. So, so right? There, there's see, that. Go ahead, Alan. That's, that's, that's the problem in that. I know and I see young men and young women that are raising their right hand and taking that incredible oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. But those are the the images that we're elevating. Sure, we see them on the, you know, the commercial ads, Marines, Army, Air Force, you know, Navy, whatever. But those aren't the people that every single day we're recognizing. That's not the image that every single day is proliferated you know, on our media platforms. And I, and I think, again, that's one of the failures of society. Think about how once upon a time you couldn't even think about running for president of the United States of America if you hadn't served in the military. Right. And I'm not just talking about serving in the military. I mean, maybe been in combat. Yeah. That's true. But look at how we've drifted so far o- away from that because – Here's another thing about your history. The ultimate sacrifice. If someone was willing to lay down their life for this nation, then that person was qualified to to be a commander-in-chief, to be a leader of this country. But think about about the perception about what we were talking about, young people knowing things. Uh, John F. Kennedy has now been made into a mythological uh, Greek god or something, (laughs) and the people don't know... He was a military person. I say it to every and, and person I talk. He's a military person. <laughs> and, and a drug addict. Yeah. But, well, the T-boat. Terrible drug How addict. he got the, – the, 
the courage book is how he got elected. Well, boy, you're you're buying some of the the mythology. What the, the father had somebody else write the book. Well, I'm sure, but he was in the boat, and he it was his mistake actually that got them in that predicament. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's true. Right. That's so true. these are, we're dealing with facts, but but in general, yes, you're right. America, the, his family wanted him to be president. He had to be in the military to be president, exactly. and he was. Exactly. Right? Yep. And, believe it or not, no liberals will believe this. Kennedy is the one that got us involved in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. P- people oh, don't know that, Drew. They're the same ones that want to tell you that Liberals Reagan, do not want to believe they that. They also want to believe that Reagan closed the psychiatric hospitals, which, you know who started the closure? Nic- Nixon. No. Yes, it was. Kennedy signed the Community Mental Health Act that began the process of closing psychiatric hospitals. Okay, that, we're, that may be a fact. No, no, no. I, it's, it's, it's it is fact. a fact. But that then was manipulated over the next 20 years to save money. Boy, you, I, that I, was I'm a gonna, component of it. Let me send you the article that goes through the history. You got it wrong. The, oh, the, is, is someone disagreeing with someone else's facts? No, yeah. no, I, I'm not I'm disagreeing with. Right now. I'm not disagreeing with whatever the fact is of who started it. I'm saying that 20 years later, that was used as a cost-cutting measure in California to close the psychiatric hospitals. Oh, well, the the but but the reason they looked there as an opportunity to save money was. No doctors wanted to work in the facilities. They were decaying. They were atrocious because my profession wouldn't attend to them. So they went, all right, we'll close them. That's what happened. Uh, let me send you the article. Here here it is. And this so is New York Times. Well, we know we can't believe them, according to our president. There we go. How release of mental health patients began. Right. That You know when this article was written? 1984, and they had not yet. They were wondering why these things were closing. This is they'd all closed already. How did that happen by 1984? That's what the article. Because about. Reagan was governor in '68, no, and a, this is and a, started the beginning of the closing of the psychiatric hospital. This is about New York. Oh, State. we need a break. This is about New York State. Yeah, we need a break. So you and we're mis- our guest is just standing by like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> I'm having a great time listening. <laughs> well, let me, let me, let me uh, Liz, I, I'll give some more data on, on Alan. Guardian of the Republic is the book that's out now. Also, Old School Patriot that's available on Stitcher, Apple Podcast, or the Old School Patriot. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, the OldSchoolPatriot.com. We want to talk about opiates and suicide. Let me just... Uh, and, and veterans. And the military. And let me just give us to frame it with an email. I'm a Marine veteran, and recently a few Marines in my old unit have committed suicide. The deaths have affected over 300 Marines of the 3rd CEB unit. I don't know what that means. Can you write us, uh, can, can you give us some knowledge on suicide prevention? So, suicide, military, opiates, big topic. PTSD. Yeah. What's your take on it? Well, uh, I work with, uh, I'm on the advisory board of an organization that's based out of California called the Mighty Oaks Foundation that is uh, a marine-based organization, but it really does work with all the branches looking into this. Uh, another group that I work with is called the uh, Hashtag 22 Kill, and there's a ring that I wear on my trigger finger on my salute hand. It's called the 22 Kill Ring because uh, on average, 20 to 22 of our veterans are taking their lives uh, each day here in the United States of America. And I think that one of the things that we have not done a good job of 
is in the training up before you go on these deployments. And these deployments, I want you to understand that they are horrific and they are very tough. I mean, you have some of our special operators that have been on six, seven, eight combat tours of duty. And it's not just the effects it has on it's also the effects it has on, on the family as well. So I think it is very important that we deal with this issue before there are deployments. Uh, we need to look at how we ter- cut the uh, the length of these deployments down, six to eight months, uh, a year. Sometimes they have taken them up to a year and a half. Uh, I don't agree with when you have these breaks in the middle of the deployment and the, the soldier, sailor, airman, marine, uh, or coast guardsman, they come back home for a period of a month, and then you ask them to reinsert themselves into a combat environment. That's very tough. That's very stressful yeah. on them and also the families. But as you are coming out of these combat zones, you also need a little bit of a decompression period so that uh, you can start to, you know, assess some of the individuals, look at them, and you got to, you know, talk about these things. But when we get back here stateside, I think that, you know, too often a lot of people have just pushed veterans to the point of just saying, here's a bag of drugs, go take them and, and be well. We need to be able to have better uh, counseling for our veterans. And yes, there is a stigma out there that a lot of young men especially don't want to be classified as having PTS because they don't want to be seen as being weak. Right. And then there's also this concern, and I'll be very honest about this, that their Second Amendment rights will be taken away from them. So they keep a lot of this inside. Right. So I think the Veterans Administration system has not done a good job in, in, you know, outsourcing some of these uh, some of these young men and women to civilian agencies and civilian hospitals. You can't put people on a waiting list. You can't have people calling in on suicide lines and you know basically put them on hold. Uh, so that's one of the key things we need to do. But I think the most important thing is we've got to look at how we can tone down these deployments because we have a military uh, that we have severely cut their end strength. But yet we're asking them to do more and more. Well, I, I, I'm hearing a, a lot of good ideas here. I mean, one one thing is the Second Amendment issue, which I didn't realize was a big issue for a lot of the veterans, which it is. Uh, yes. Two is the machismo stuff where you don't want to feel like you're broken or you're, you need help, need support. Three, you're right. You need to be, again, talking to the, the patient, you know, the, the, the injured soldier and the family immediately. But I love your idea of being more proactive throughout and before the deployment. Absolutely. You're 100 percent right. That that is a piece we just have not put in place. Well, I've been there, and 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 you know, I remember when I deployed my battalion to uh, Iraq back in 2003. There had only been two people in our entire battalion that had been in combat before, and that was myself and my command sergeant major. And what I tried to sit down and and talk with you know, especially the junior leaders and, and our soldiers about, was that you've got to understand that the person that you are here separated from the person you're going to have to become and the things you're going to be asked to do over there. Yeah. I remember when uh, we were, you know, at the railhead loading up our equipment and one of our young soldiers came up to me and asked if he could talk to me. And I said, of course you can. He's, and he said, I'm scared. He says, sir, I don't know if I can do what is necessary. And and I told him, you know, I'm scared, too. I said, my fear is that I will let 600 and some odd of you down. And I don't want to do that because I've got to make a, a, a commitment 
to you and to your families that I'm going to do everything I can to get you back here safely. Uh, and I think that it is very important that we come to face to face with our concerns, our fears, and we talk about them before we go into these combat zones. And I told my chaplain that he was the greatest combat multiplier in our battalion because our, our men would talk to him about things they definitely weren't going to talk to their, their sergeants, their officers, and certainly not me. And it was very important for him to circulate throughout the unit, circulate, get out on the battlefield, go on patrol with them, show these young men that, that he's with them and he's there to care for them each and every step of the way. So it's that continuum, Dr. Drew, that we have to have yeah. and not just, you know, this, we're going to put the finger in the dike moment, you know, when it gets the critical mass. Colonel West, thank you for your service. Thank you for your wise words. Thank you for guarding the Republic and the old school Patriot podcast. And uh, thank you for spending some time with us. My pleasure. I look forward to doing it again, guys. All right. Great to talk to you. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Our best. Mm, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So there you go. We'll take another little break, and then Bob and I will get back together and fight about uh, closing psychiatric hospitals. No, I found my evidence in your own article. Okay, good. Well, CBDs are everywhere, right? Everyone's talking about them, and it's a topic that I get asked about all the time. Bottom line on CBD, although there are way more claims made about them, the clinical evidence right now, it's not all that clear, but many people are using it and reporting great results, and they are very encouraging. So I want to first define exactly what I'm talking about here. CBD is cannabidiol, an extract from hemp. While you might associate with marijuana, CBD does not cause reinforcement. It is not the reinforcing component of hemp, but it is what's responsible for the calming or some of the relaxing effects that many people experience, not the high. Now about the products. There are a ton of them on the market today. For getting the vast array of the reported health benefits, it's important to be aware of what you're buying. I was recently introduced to a company called Select CBD, an Oregon-based company that focuses on high-quality ingredients and manufacturing standards, not the hype. Their CBD-based products are available in a wide range of formulations and flavors, each of which is described to you so you can make an informed decision without all those promises that are probably too good to be true. Like I said, the reported benefits of CBD by individuals using this are very compelling. I'm excited to see how things develop as the science catches up with this booming industry. As usual, the public is ahead of the science. I can't make explicit claims yet, but boy, the reports are pretty encouraging. So if you're ready to try CBD, I encourage you to check out Select CBD. To learn more, go to drdrew.com select. That's on my site, drdrew.com S-E-L-E-C-T. And for a limited time, you can save 25% at checkout with the code Dr. Drew, D-R-D-R-E-W. Again, drdrew.com slash select, and then the code D-R-D-R-E-W. And we are, we are back. What did you find? Well, for, in that testimony in 1963 in the article of yeah. the, the one doctor that you know steered the whole thing, yeah. it would save the state of New York 400 to $500 million in 1963. I went back, multiplied what that is in modern times. That's all, more than $2 billion right, was being he, saved by this, just the state of he, New York. He was wrong. They didn't save anything. Well, that's, that, what that, that's, that's what he said. That's what he was claiming, and that's, that's why what he said in Congress, right? And that's why Kennedy went for it. And they were also saying it was cruel and it was unusual to, you know, when you have these new medicines and the only medicine, well, the drug they're using back Thorazine. then was Thorazine. It's you just walk around like a zombie. But they believed the psychiatrists believed they were curing mental illness. You listen. Well, they're you, not banging their head against the wall. They're trying to stab you with a pencil. The point but is, it was ill-conceived, ideologically driven. 
money, the money sold it, and it was all a bad idea sold to President Kennedy. And he sold, and he and he signed the Community Mental Health Act, which on its surface In is sixty three, based on those congressional yeah, hearings. Yeah, he signed it, and that's where it went. It went completely in the toilet after that, Com- fast. So within twenty years, all the other state the governors were closing the rest of them because they just fallen into disrepair. And no doctors wanted to have anything to do with it because they they don't they don't mention in here the other uh, nail in the coffin was the public perception because but, of, but because of because of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I that know, movie had, had, had a massive that, impact. But but this started in the late sixties. Uh, here here is a fact: my uncle Bob Thornblad, who I'm named after, mm-hmm. was a hospital administrator. Okay, he was on Governor Reagan's board about the nursing home and mental health facilities, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I went with him on a trip to Oakland in the early 70s, and he was friends with Reagan, and they had a falling out because it wasn't working. So I didn't know what was working, but now that I read this article, I put two two together. What wasn't working was stuff. what they had been told seven years ago. Right. And he – so Reagan so could 17, have switched 17, it around. 17 he years could have, ago. That conference in Oakland was about this isn't working. Right. We have mentally ill people walking around the right. thing. We have we have elderly people sleeping under on park benches. Exactly. We need to do something. And right. the idea was – we're just economically, we're not going to switch back. The problem was the federal government was withholding the funds to do it. Because the decision had been made seven or eight years before. 17 years before. 63. I'm talking about 71. Oh, I went eight to this years thing. before. Right. It was when Reagan was still governor. Yeah. So he could have changed it, but he would have to then turn around and tell the California the taxpayers yeah. they're going to have to pay for it. The federal government withheld all the money. So they were the ones that used to fund it. So what what are you going to do? I mean, I and by the way, my professional. Well, how much has it cost? All the homelessness, Bob, all the criminality, all the incarceration. How much does it cost? They didn't know that then. If you, they were starting to know it in the early seventies. I'm telling you, have somebody who trained in the eighties. If you had done that in the seventies, my profession would have crushed you. That's cruel. How dare you? We can take care of these people. How could you do something so cruel? This is you know, who are you to say they they we my profession started this. Just nonsense. imagine I Patton State Mental Hospital in San Jose, which is yeah. probably now Google's headquarters. Um, it's in Silicon Valley there along the two thirty seven highway. Yeah, that was a huge mental hospital. Um, by by nineteen seventy seven, the last patients were being moved out of there. Yeah. Imagine if you'd been in there for 30 years yeah. and they were just going to move you to yeah. a HUD housing yeah. in San Francisco and you go get your meds down the street because you've with- been in a place for 30 years. Because that is the insanity of what my profession signed off on. You're cured. We've got medicines now for you. You're cured. And so Go free. And so the modern homeless population is a culmination of yes, government letting down veterans, government letting down the mentally ill. Yes, that's it. Right? That's it. That's it. That's who's on That's it. And the, now everybody and, else is sort of temporarily homeless, and that's an economic thing, and we can kind of deal with that. Right. The chronically permanently homeless is the problem. All right, let's take some e- emails. Well, let's get. There's one that I wanted to get to that uh, I have them. I've okay. been looking forward to this segment okay. the whole time, and now I lost the. What did it have to do with? Uh, maybe I have in front of me the suicide one, the long one. Uh oh. Where is the suicide one? God, there's so many. A lot know, of people listen to this show. I know. We're okay, to... suicidal thoughts or fantasies. Yes, I got first, it right here. Okay, read it. Read synopsize. 
Oh, boy. Uh, thank you. About a month and a half ago, I got a random urge to learn to try a noose. I couldn't. He went on Google. I couldn't and they teach the you how to kill yourself on Google search. Right. I can't help but put the rope Kids around Kids learn my how neck. to shoot up on Google. Uh, uh, People get their shitty health care from Google. When is Google going to be held accountable? So this guy was this guy was not this was a guy who was sort of flirting with fantasies and sexual yes. yeah Michael Hutchins type yes. stuff. This is this But is, the fact that you can go on Google search and find out how to hang yourself, Drew, yeah. find out how to shoot up heroin. Yeah. What what is it net neutrality? I mean, what's your stance on that? Oh, I I think I think we will look at the screen the way we look at tobacco eventually. Oh. That, that that you and I'll be an old folks home yeah, by could be, but I think we will. But hold on, let's see. Let's see. I don't have attached to the end of a structure. I just wrap it around my neck. I start to lose consciousness. He wants the order of. I don't have. I, right. I don't have suicidal thoughts, but I have fantasies. He says I have them. If I don't get a disease or shot or car wreck, I will definitely go out this way. So he's flirting with these fantasies of suicide, but liking the feeling of cutting the blood supply off to his head because right. he gets euphoria from that. I could tell him just to buy some amyl nitrate, and it'll do the same thing. That is exactly true. Right. However, I would say this is a medical emergency. I know. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, and this is a kid that needs to be – he's one month sober, too. It's crazy. The internet <laughs> opens access to this real darkness, Drew. There is a moral responsibility to the society. I agree. How come they're not held accountable? I don't know. I, 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 it, I, that question enters my head 50 times a day. Why aren't the politicians held accountable for the people languishing on the streets? The infectious diseases that are going to break out this summer, why aren't these people held accountable? Why isn't Facebook held accountable for the garbage that was perpetrated politically? Yeah. Why not? Why? Why not? I don't know. Why are we held accountable for every step we take? Drew gets all the emails, so huh? you know, we're, we're getting all the emails. So the, the way it came up with me is Yelp. Okay, can I talk for a second? Please. This is why I want to lead into this. We have a former disgruntled employee that worked for us that I had to let go. Mm-hmm. He, for some reason, just can't let it go. It has been 17 years. Wow. 17 years. Mm-hmm. He keeps putting bad Yelp reviews on my rehab. Yep. They're always anonymous. Yep. Do you know that you can put up a bad Yelp review trying to destroy with your intent of trying to destroy somebody's business and you can remain completely anonymous? Yeah. See, I think this kind of thing, there will be legal action eventually. Why? It's been going on for five years that I know of. No, I know. There's got to be some sort of legal pushback. Yelp is the worst at it. I agree. You can just put up any mean thing about any doctor, any psychiatrist, any and, psychologist. And then, so I decided two years ago with Evan and Jared, I want off Yelp. I don't want anything to do with Yelp. I want all of our stuff taken off Yelp. Guess what? You don't have a choice. Right. That's not America. I, I agree. Okay. I totally agree with you. So I convinced you I just need to convince what, 349 what? million other people. <laughs> what do you think of the uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm fairly um, open to the idea of restricting things online, but but just for the public health. Right. Yeah. But what about the – How the, to hang yourself, how to shoot up heroin? What about the young people? Would you take those off the internet? Yes. What about for the young sure. people not having sex, that article? Okay, well, I sent it to you. So, well, nobody's having sex, apparently, but you and I and Susan. <laughs> I'm having lots of sex. Nobody's having sex, Drew. You I said know. it was because of the 
people. No, but in hold. all age brackets, one is because the population is elderly. Is well, when older. I was twenty four, I met Drew. We both had our own apartments, so it there does you make go twenty four. But but all demographics. Did you see the article? It's yeah. it's. It, I sent it to your phone. Usually, humans like every other mammalian system don't reproduce when there's risk. You know what I mean? What's the risk? This I, is I, the greatest I, time well, in my too. life. I think they that, perceive it. I think that's the again, the media is probably creating it. Is it just an American phenomenon? Yeah, there's only yeah. America that they were studying. Right? What's different about here except the media? The craziness. So people are thinking, but but they're not having. There's ways to have sex that don't involve no, procreation. I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> but the way our system works is, we will drop our drive if we're like if we're dieting and things. We'll, our drive. So will definitely die. porn for young people. Yep. The access to porn 24 hours a day yep. at any given notice that is affecting yep. young people. Yep. The the older population are. I always thought, like, you know, I come from a nursing home background. There's people having sex in there. Sure. When a new guy would come in, Susan, you'll love this. So my family's nursing home in Culver City, it was like 80% women. And they're all, like, in their 80s or whatever. <laughs> when I like, 77-year-old widower would come in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he would be holding court Showtime. in the cafeteria. It was crazy. I love it. And I don't know that sex sex was going on, but flirting was. They have sex and, at that yeah, age, Bob. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe, yeah. Didn't you, haven't you heard about all the women who get STDs in nursing homes? In nursing homes? Yeah, yeah, yeah there's an outbreak in Florida. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so anyways, but in general, there's less sex in, as you age, right? Yep. The middle part that was interesting is the married uh uh, you know, family, nuclear family marriages. Yeah. They're not having sex either. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Maybe too many kids. No. So, you know, I, I remember on Loveline years ago, Drew used to always say, you know, that women had to put up with men so much and how they are the keepers of intimacy. Women and, are, yeah. Yeah, and I think what's happened in the last 30 years is women have finally figured that out. They're kind of going back to the old... You know, feeling of, you know, I don't need to have sex with this guy just because I go out to dinner with him. And, you know, or they're just very careful about who they get involved with. And especially if they're the same age group, like 24 to 30-year-old women don't particularly want to go out with men their own age. You know, like Drew was an old soul when he was 24. He was like a 35-year-old. But I know. Most, it's been the same since I met him. Most 26-year-old <laughs> guys are just, you know, they're not quite. You might be going backwards. You might be more, he might be more <laughs> carefree and more watch, youthful now than he the, was uh, then. It, it, watch the Dr. Drew after dark. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> when I, was doing, I, I had the same thought, Bob, just so you know. <laughs> so, so why were you so serious early on? You know why? Why? It's so strange you would bring this up. I was thinking about it in the shower this morning. Wow. Because I was so, I don't even have words to describe my level of commitment mm-hmm. to the being a physician, I was. Right. It, it was so thoroughly well, you had a shaming cons- dad physician who was going to crucify you yeah. if you weren't excellent. Yes, there was that, but I to- it went. I went way beyond that. I went way beyond it, and I internalized it so much. Yeah. Is there that- support groups for doctors, sons of doctors? I don't know because there's so many. Yeah, there I was know. one client I had who's turned his life around. Dad still shames him. He's been sober like since Hollywood recovery, like nine years. Yeah. I can't believe he got himself involved with that yeah. like doctors are 
brutal. A rare breed. Brutal. <laughs> well, we but, don't, we don't but, have but, a but, ton but of doctor friends. But, but like, it, it, so we don't? Most of our friends are Hollywood people. Yeah. So, but there's so, not a lot listen. of now doctors of uh, sons of do- and daughters of doctors. Not, no, because the – But the, there the, was well, for then, years. Then the profession was so – they thought it was fun and so you know so, so much success tied to it. Now it's brutal. It's slavery. And you could make the same living as plumbing easily. Yes. Easily. Okay. Uh, you could be a travel so, agent. Yeah, easily. Uh, but um, the point I was saying the, the, Why you every, so serious? Yeah, everything about me was about that priority of physician. And that's why I could hold the line so well on environments like Loveland and things, because I was still younger, so I had some of that free spiritedness that you're talking yeah. about. But I was over well, preoccupied. That's yeah. With the internal the important ah, this is what it was. I thought the profession was so important. I it thought was. what it had to offer. It I thought is. what I was doing was so so important. And I feel like, and this I, this is the part of the conversation I had with myself this morning. I feel like the world just doesn't care. They no, really they don't pay anymore. you for it anymore. That's the second they, time the world doesn't it. care has come up. But yeah. so so interestingly, what do they care about? Is fame, money, yeah, right? And and the the proximity to fame and money, even yeah. if it's only that you're following somebody on Twitter mm-hmm. and that and that you know what they said today, it's the weirdest society. So I've opted out for ten days. I feel magnificent. Good. Good. <laughs> Nate, you Nate, know everybody Nate gets doesn't mad even at have me. a TV in his house. I don't watch He's the a, news all day either. Huh? Jewel, Where? Did you hear about this? And I'm like, who's Mueller? <laughs> I had to ask who's him. Who's Mueller? <laughs> also, Nate saying he does have a TV. I was in your living room. You didn't have a TV in there. Let me do some quick emails. Here, thanks. Don't for, feel bad. Here's Bob. a positive one. I never Bob. watched that. Thanks news. for Slippy Rehab. You've helped me more than you know. I was a 60 pill a day addict. Watching your content, TV and radio, gave me the strength to get sober and stay sober. I've been sober for eight years. I run a million dollar company. Have been very successful in my relationship. Thank you. There's right. somebody Slippy Rehab got That's sober. That's inspired. I hear that all the time. You know, um, for some reason. People got inspired by celebrity rehab. They didn't even go inpatient treatment, but somehow they turned things around. It, yeah. it, it was a weird, yeah. weird. I want to read the borderline one, so I'll read it. It's okay. two pages. Go ahead. Borderlines. Why are borderlines attractive to sociopaths? Does the sociopath feed their narcissism? Yeah. You rock, dude. I think that's directed at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so why is that there a fittedness between yeah. borderlines and, nar- and sociopaths? Because we just talked about I it know. on a prior podcast. I, I think we didn't have to go to psychoanalytic literature to, to answer that question. But let me see if I can... But I don't think the borderlines, the ones that I'm thinking of, the couples that I'm thinking of, yeah. the, the borderline doesn't act like a borderline to the sociopath. Yes. They they do it to everyone else, but when they're with that person, right. they're they're less they're more contained. And, and so yet, maybe the borderline yet, gets contained by the sociopath. A narcissist contains uh, the borderline a little bit, but but the the sociopath likes the drama. So I don't know, but I, they're above it. Yeah, they're they aren't bothered it. by it. Yeah, they're, bothered they're not by bo- it. they're not caught up. They don't get yeah. caught up in the hurricane of it. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It's almost like the – I think the borderline can have a relationship without having a relationship, right? Because a real relationship gets very scary for borderlines. Mm. And a sociopath is not really available for a relationship. They're available for fun and they're available for 
you know, maybe even some containment, but they're not really actually available for a relationship because borderline, as soon as you get close to them, they freak the hell when out. When you and Dr. Blum were educating me about borderlines, I didn't really know anything about it, and I won't go into the details, but there was one that we had, and I and it caused chaos in the unit, chaos everywhere, yeah. going to sue everybody, yep, yep. all kinds of chaos. And it, he and I were in your office, and I, and I was just like, who would marry someone like this? <laughs> and he pointed at me. I did. No, Barry did. Oh. He pointed at me and he pointed at himself. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't like that. Addicts. No, addicts will. Addicts will. Addicts will. Yeah. yeah, he was referring yeah. to addicts. Ad- addicts functioning at a sociopathic level will. Well, I think so. it all just the swirl of it all. Yeah. Well, addicts get high off the swirl. So. But and It's also a smoke screen for their using, right? Yeah, yeah, you don't have to. It doesn't. It draws attention away from exactly. their alcoholism. Exactly. Yeah. Onto that, okay. So. so there's just a fittedness uh, to every kind of personality yeah. type, right? Yeah. And it's not as superficial as it seems. No, it's, it's the, more archetypal. It, it, uh, it, it's how you feel in the setting of close, intimate proximity. Uh, well, and, and what how, makes it comfortable? How the healthy person? Because yeah. I, I think I was very unhealthy. I think I'm semi healthy now. So how the unhealthy person feels around a healthy person yes. is uncomfortable. Correct. Uh, uh, Correct. This is not working. This is not. Yes. This is something about this yeah, just, person stuck up. The blah blah blah. It just right? makes your skin crawl. For yeah, some it doesn't reason. work. Yeah. So unhealthy people are going to naturally fit better with other unhealthy people absolutely why how come the healthy people don't click together because i don't see a lot of healthy couples either they, they do you don't see them <laughs> where are they they're out there in the world they're 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 not a lot of them you're right these days because we all come from such destroyed families <laughs> right and so there's not a lot of good relationship health out there i remember I, w- I went on a date with a school teacher in new york city one time she was just amazing you know like what you'd think like Oh my God! Thought, and I was just like, yeah, "Give God. it to her." And when I walked her to the her uh, uh, the train, I was like, "I'm never going to see her again." Get on that train quick! Boring as shit. Well, boring is the boring is the classic experience of of, of a narcissist yeah, with yeah, a normal yeah. or the healthy person. So that's how the narcissist feels. Yeah, they feel like oh, bored, 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 bored. Yeah, yeah. Well, borderlines do too. Also, they'll, they feel they'll feel bored. they feel bored with yeah. normal people. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, you know, a lot of the narcissistic disorders, that's, that's sort of the thing. But, but here's the thing of why people don't talk about it. I think everybody sees their relationships with, they don't want to think that there's some un- unhealthiness that's gluing you together. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So What's wrong what with that? Us together. Well, Whatever's imagine, gluing you together is gluing you together. We can talk about our pathologies if you want. I'm not sure we should do it right here. <laughs> but... but but uh, you're a little bit of a narcissist. A little bit, a little bit, but but not then, as so much as me. Come on, not as much as him. <laughs> but then, so are you. So we're sort of uh, we sort of. I I don't want to think that I'm. But in a, a different borderline way. because I do no. like closeness. So I think no, when you're you too said, matter of fact. Yeah, I but I might have had a little tendency in my twenties though. Right. So so I have narcissistic tendency what is it? trait. What is it? You have borderline tendency trait, and there I think goes. I went through a phase between like eighteen and twenty. And it was just really weird because I was a completely different person. Then when I met you, I kind of like 
snapped out of it. Glued it together. But but again, it's, it's <laughs> these traits that are probably kind of fitting. It's not a disorder. It's sort of traits. But why do people kind of think working. of it? Because I bring it up a lot yeah. and people feel very uncomfortable about it. They don't like talking about it. I say, well, whatever works, whatever's fitting. And if you have insight about who you are and why it fits, exactly. you can talk about exactly. it. Exactly. You know who you know who said that to me the first time? Florence Henderson. Oh my Florence, God. Florence, Florence, the Brady Florence, Bunch. Because listen, Florence <laughs> Henderson had a husband who was a therapist. Oh, really? And their their big key, this was in the eighties or maybe early nineties, and their big campaign was, it's okay that pathology brings you together. Yes, what's as, as long as you're aware of it. Process as long as you have process around. And talk it. about it. Is that talk about treatment it. process openness? Look right. at it because it's the it's the craziness that creates the fun and glue. Right, it makes creates the intensity. But it can't be too much. It can't be too. It can't much. be clingy, and I don't want you to change, right? It can't be too much. It can't be with the intensity is the goal, and not the love. And you got to have lots of process, lots of talking, and open. And, and talk about this because I I read this this article about how in a relationship, if you're going to have a twenty thirty year marriage, that somebody sometimes it's gonna somebody's going to get ahead. Yes. Uh, yes. In, in like emotionally, in, yeah. emotionally ahead. Yeah. And, it's not like you have to wait. You just have to keep talking, yeah. and it'll it'll or, change or, and get more comfortable. It might get or, uncomfortable for a while. It'll get more comfortable. Well, this this would be an interesting topic for our producer. So I went through all those years of therapy. Did you feel me changing or moving, and you had to change yourself in some way? Mm-hmm. You, but you went a good direction. <laughs> Was he home more? No. Well, we were also raising triplets, so that's what like, I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I, but, but did it make you feel feeling... left behind in any way? No. No. What I year I'm not tri- a clingy person. What? Maybe that's the borderline part. I'm. What yeah, year yeah. were the triplets born? Ninety-two. Ninety-two. So when you and I started working together, they were eleven. You worked from seven in the morning till midnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> What's your point? <laughs> yeah. How were you feeling about that? Well, it paid for all the help, that's for sure. Okay. No, we but we I were mean, in survival mode. You know? I, you I, I, listen, he came home for like an hour between, and he would just be hands-on. But at the beginning... Three hours, two to three hours. Yeah, so he would be hands-on, super good with the kids and everything. He'd rile them all up and then go to level line, and then I had to calm them down. But, <laughs> but, he would, but he was great in that period of time. But when they were first born and they were really little, before he went to therapy, he would come home... And we'd sit and just stare at each other, and we wouldn't speak. The kids were like, all around us. And I would look across at him, and he would just look so angry, and then he'd yell at the kids, stop it. That's your dad. You were being your dad. I'm sure. Right? And I just looked at him, and I go, "Uh, you're not handling this very well, and I don't think it's going to work out, so you need to get therapy. And he went and got it right away. That's amazing. It helped, yeah. Well, she she was like, no, listen to me. She was like, she was like, serious. She goes... You need to go. Listen to me. Well, at least and it's something. And it was like cut right through me. I thought, he oh, yelled at oh. one of my kids but your and I was health, like, no. But your health you was, the healthy part of Drew was to focus on the kids. Because what I see unhealthy p- people do is focus on the wife that's not raising the kids right. Oh, no, that's no. What That's what you me. see a lot. The yeah. blame well, of the Well, there was of kind the... of an edge of that. But I had been with these kids all day long with help and I'd gone through 30 diapers and 30 bottles. We were in survival and, mode. And, I mean, and he came home for like 10 minutes and it, he would just, it, this anger would just come into the room. And I, I knew he was stressing out about work. And I said, you're going to have to leave that like outside. 
out the door. Well, that's another thing. I it's didn't hard even know what he did, leave. you know, it's, with the whole Lassen Cenas thing. Oh, yeah, she, she didn't even know what that was all about If then, you're going to deal it's with true. what we deal with, you're going to have to come up with a game plan of how to have a life. Yeah. Well, and that's what happened. It, it's that's just, happened. you can't help people unless you're a thousand percent. And that's my problem with drug treatment is hardly anybody's a thousand percent anymore. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? I know. Like, I'm a thousand percent. You yeah. know me. Yeah. Right? I don't give up. It doesn't stop because the clock stopped. And we right. had a staff that it didn't stop because yeah. the clock stopped. That's right. And then we had to tell each other, because you could just physically look at Shelly sometimes and say, you need to fucking take some time for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah. but now you see a team that it's all about them all the time. It's I know. so weird. It's weird. I'm kind of well, curious though, Drew. When you came home and you saw me, was I doing something wrong that was irritating you, or was it just sort of? Oh, a, I can't. It was remember. just a combination of everything. I, I know. A Twelve-hour day and three kids. And yeah, I was pretty stressed out for chaos. sure. Um, but you had one introverted kid, right? So there's only two really causing trouble. No, it's in the early. When it was just Jordan you know, had colic for four months. Yeah, he's the introverted one. Had colic for four months. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I mean, that, it was that just, almost put me over the edge. It was. I I I only am aware of my own responsibility. But it was like you didn't like the food I served, and then I was like, "Well, you know, sorry." But it know. got serious in 2006 when we started the TV show. That that it was 2006 or 2007. When Douglas had a brain surgery. No, no, 2007. Oh, no. Seven. 2008, something like I that. can't remember so, uh, what year. I don't even yeah. remember was, yeah. what year anything was. So now, not only were we dealing with what we were dealing with, now we're under a microscope, which I didn't perceive as happening. Oh, you're talking about celebrity happening. rehab, right? I didn't either. Yeah. I, like, that we were going to be the subjects of the thing, not the treatment and the clients. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a strange thing, because I, I was surprised at how much focus vh1 had on the clients but no matter how much they tried to focus it on the clients it came back at the three of us yep. mm-hmm. right and yeah. it was strange it was very strange and that now now i i remember because i i'll give you an example i i'm not a big fan of the national anthem being played at sporting events mm-hmm. i think you should keep politics out of sports like you should keep <laughs> right so i would never take my hat off Starting with the criticism we, or the microscope I felt we were under, oh, I didn't boy. want to reflect poorly on him or Shelley oh, or geez. anybody, so I started taking my hat off and putting it over my heart. Wow. I swear to God. Because I knew that the three of us are in this world together now. Yeah. Right. It was a very strange era. No, but it was good. Well, it's it was still. A good thing to do. You know, still. You know, I had I'd no start, idea. I started what taking he did. my hat off and put it over my heart you, for you, Doctor Drew. You, Bob. I appreciate <laughs> it. You come home frustrated about something, and I go, well, "Why don't you just quit, Lawson Cena's?" And and he go, "No." And then he wrote the book Cracked, and then I read it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I didn't even know what you did all these years." Like I had no idea. They wrote a, in the book he writes about how I'm like, "You should just quit." I don't know why you're doing. <laughs> this. <laughs> did you use yes. a Valley Girl accent? Pretty much what I sounded like too in those days. I had a higher voice too, but well, no. financially he should have quit. He no, he was right. making good money. It just it wasn't for those years. I was there was some money it was oh, before I got there. Yeah. I, I was only for the no, really it was before for we the really, famine time. You brought yeah. me in. No, no, it, didn't, it was a I couple mean, it years. It wasn't a lot. Well, of actually, money, I was doing more medical service stuff there then. Let's in, just say uh, he made as much H&Ps. doing that as he makes on his other podcast podcast one, which is a very so it was. It was a. It's just amazing. Amazing that we all survive and we're all here. Yeah, but yeah. I'm telling you. But he did it out of the bottom of his heart, and he did it for the people. And I had no idea he had all these rock stars. It he was worked fun for. there, though. Yeah, it was really good, fun, yeah, but it was, it was hard to turn it off. Yeah, 
and and of then course. but I, the the medical part weighed on me a little heavier even than the addiction part. And it's funny because when we were dating in our twenties, I used to stay at Los Encinas. I I don't know if I should tell anybody this, but they had like a little bungalow in the back <laughs> for him. And I'd come visit him. I'd have to stay the night there. Way and back, I way still back had no behind. idea what he I was I know doing. the bungalow you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Next to the locked adolescent unit. There's a house over yeah, there. Yeah, the house on the way out. Yeah, on the, by the back yeah. gate. Yeah, yeah. The back gate. yeah, they tried to, Roland tried to give me and Buddy I, Arnold that I building that. so we'd have all a map base there. Yeah. So no, we were, he wanted you to take the, the that house yeah, behind the house. that. Behind yeah, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, different one. Yeah, but he, you know, Drew was working really hard. I had no idea for what. 15, 20 years, what he did. 15 years, right? Then you and I put it on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. That's what you're doing. (laughs) It was fun. All right. Listen, let's wrap this up. It helped a lot of people. Maybe it didn't help us, but it helped a lot of people. No, the goal was to make a difference, and I think we did it. (laughs) I think we did. Yeah. All right. Well, I liked liked the colonel. He said, after you guys get off the phone, did you hang up? Did you stop? He said that he thought it was funny when you guys started arguing about American history. We always do. <laughs> he was but really I don't nice. think we're wrong. It doesn't matter who started or who ended up with it. Well, I, I think, just have I a think... childhood memory of my uncle being so mad at Ronald Reagan yeah. that he wouldn't switch course. That makes sense to me. But, but, it, but people miss the part that 1963 is where it happened. Right, yeah, and ni- 2019 that. is where we have 50,000 people walking around psychotic in Los Angeles. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. All right, we'll see you next I time. See, with that happy yeah. note. <laughs> Thank Bye-bye. you. All right, that's about it for this episode of This Life. Thanks for listening and subscribing on your favorite platforms. Rate us five stars and tell a friend. Also, be sure to visit drdrew.com for the latest news. We'll tell you where you can find all of our health-related content including the latest in-depth series, The History of Opium. You can now listen to it on the weekly Infusion podcast. We have some great and very interesting and appropriate interviews with key historical players in the history of opium. We're excited about our newest podcast, Dr. Drew After Dark, which has been described as a dark web reboot of Loveline. It's the hottest guest spot for all the most popular comedians. Beware, it is for a mature audience. It is kind of a reboot of Loveline. You can hear the episodes first in a podcast form Thursday. Then on Friday, you can watch all the video episodes when the YouTube page drops on the Your Mom's House YouTube channel. New episodes every week. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Also on Doctor.com, you can find Swole Patrol, our health and fitness podcast with Mike Catherwood. If you want something a bit more refined that will expand your intellectual horizons, please subscribe to the Dr. Drew Podcast, where I feature a wide variety of very interesting and important guests. Get in-depth interviews there. Last but not least, me and Adam, Adam and Dr. Drew Show Podcast. It's a lot of fun, and we are still together, and you can get it five days a week. So go to drdrew.com. Please tell a friend, and we thank you for it. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.